That is not the role of a judge. It is not my place to be an activist judge and to put forward or to uh, to promote any sorts of laws. I mean, we think about it. Think about the right and the left both complaining about judges who do just that. Mm-hmm. The, the, the judge that doesn't like your way of thinking, who you believe is putting their own beliefs in front of the law. It goes to my basic beliefs on the, the, the intelligence of a certain, a certain policy that has nothing to do with, with religious belief. That, that's not my place. That is not a judge's decision. No. That is for Bo Watson. That is for, that is for Patsy Hazelwood. That is for Todd Gardenhire. That is for Yusuf Hakeem. That's for Tim Kelly. That's for Governor Lee. Your judges need to stay out of the business of politics. We have too many, in my opinion, humbly, political judges in this country. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. Stone on air. He wants to be your next circuit court judge. I believe it is officially District 7. Those are the words from Alex McVeigh to open the Stone On Air podcast for February 21st, 2024. Thousands in the city of Chattanooga make it their midweek download destination each and every Wednesday. If you're new here, happy to have you on board. Lots to get to, plenty more from Alex and other important and not so important information next. Brock, the presenting sponsor of the podcast for all your real estate needs, 653-2491. The email address is lee at lindabrockhomes.com. Thanks for finding the show. My name is Brian, and it has been a busy week, and it is barely just getting started. I will lay out the show for you quickly. In the second segment of the show, you will hear excerpts from my conversation with Alex McVeigh. I've got six cuts from our over 90-minute conversation that we had on Monday. You will find that entire show, the first installment of the best show ever, a complimentary piece to this podcast that will be designed specifically to talk to people from right here in the city of Chattanooga. Will it always be? I don't know. It could be more regional at times. We'll see how time goes. But that's what it's going to be, at least initially. And yes, the best show ever is just the name of the show. It's not the best ever, I don't think. The goal is to make everything I do the best ever, but we all know that's not possible. So that'll be the second segment of the show. In the final segment of the show, today is 365 days of sobriety for me. Yes, this day, the 21st, not yesterday, not tomorrow, not sometime this week, exactly today. For those that think that the universe speaks to you or speaks to them, they would say, well, look at that. It falls on the exact day that you release your weekly podcast. How about that for the universe? I don't know about any of that kind of stuff, 
most of those people talk about where the stars and sun align as to their, you know, spiritual beliefs or whatever. But it is indeed one year. And I will leave it at that for now. And I'll spend a few minutes on that in the final segment of the show. And I went through some of my old notes from a year ago, or which would be really actually about 11 months ago now when I was in rehab. I wrote a bunch of stories and they were basically just dear diaries and I didn't I didn't do all of them. I spent about 5 or 6 weeks on this show when I resumed it in March of last year doing a segment each week called Stories Maybe I Shouldn't Tell. And the reason for that name is is it's kind of frowned upon to talk about rehab, AA, and those kinds of things. It, it, there's no rules, there's no laws, there's no regulations on it. It's one of those kind of um, you know unwritten rule kind of things. But I felt, and I still feel, that talking about my own experience, no matter what it is, was perfectly okay, as long as I didn't talk about anybody else and tell anybody's names and get specific with anything, which I never did. And today, I'm still not going to do that, but I'm, I am I found some stuff that I decided to not do last year, and the only reason I didn't do it is because I felt like I was, as they say, beating a dead horse. I felt like after, I think it was about five weeks of that, that that had been enough, and there was more, because I was in there for three, well, really almost basically a full month, but three weeks solid of inpatient, and I had probably 10 to 15 different uh, little doodles and notes to self and stories and things like that. And so I only did about five, six, maybe seven of them total. And so the final segment will be the lost stories that maybe I shouldn't tell. And they're pretty short, and I'll run through them pretty quickly. And um, I'm not looking for any big applause or any congratulations or anything like that. I'll take them, but I'm not really looking for it. It's just this show is stuff about the city, about my life, uh, about stories worth telling, and I think that that is one worth telling. So that'll be in the third and final segment of the show. Each segment is generally about 20 minutes each, so each week if you find the show and you know that there might be something you're more interested in at certain points of the show, you can bounce around and um, and sample only the parts that you're interested in. Or you can do like what I'd like to think every single one of you do and listen to every single minute, every single week, the very moment that it's available to be downloaded, even though we all know that that's not how most people consume the show. But one can dream, can't he? To uh, get back to what I just mentioned, a very busy week, and I hope this continues podcasting is all of a sudden now becoming something I'm doing more than once a week. I have um, talked about it a little bit here. I'm now a regular contributor. I wouldn't say necessarily one of the hosts, even though maybe it's kind of turning into that, of the What Podcast, a podcast dedicated to uh, Bonnaroo initially, and then it expands into more festival culture and really pop culture all the way around. But at this time of year, it is Bonnaroo season leading up to June. And so I had that recording on Sunday, and that's how we'll generally do those. I recorded with Judge Alex McVeigh as he is a sitting current judge for General Sessions Court here in Hamilton County. I did that on Monday. Today, this is for Wednesday, the 21st. 
This weekend, I will record during the break with Clint Powell, his uh, running series of variety of different podcasts. I will tell you more about that after it's done and released and uh, give you directions to find that if you would like to. We're doing that on Saturday. And then the second best show ever will be with local musician Adam Stone, and I will be recording that on Sunday. So we will do the the What Podcast early Sunday. Then I'll do the Best Show Ever podcast Monday afternoon. And then um, that will be released sometime next week. The Best Show Ever will be just whenever it's ready. Whenever it's done and whenever it's ready to be uh, dropped, as they say, that's when you'll find it. There is no schedule. There is no you know first of every month or anything like that. But this show is your midweek download destination every Wednesday. And um, I am here to start the show to tell you, yeah, shocking news, surprise, surprise, the city council and the county commission have delayed the vote on the South Broad District redevelopment and more specifically to the topic of this show, the Lookouts Stadium. They have delayed it once again. The headline from the Chattanooga.com, I don't know what it will look like in the Chattanooga Times Free Press today on the 21st, but Chattanooga.com, new stadium funding plan has county with reduced role. A new funding plan for the Southside Stadium unveiled on Tuesday afternoon has the county with a reduced funding role. The change puts off a vote by the city council and county commission for yet another week. It goes on. I don't even understand everything about it. I I really didn't read it all word for word. The only thing I highlighted here towards the end was Councilman Chip Henderson said he wanted to be assured that the $115 million would be enough for a top quality stadium. He said, quote, I don't want to walk in and think, oh my God, what have we done? He added, I want to make sure that we have something we are proud of and the quality is still there. And I agree with that completely, Chip Henderson. So if that is kind of part of what this is, to make sure that it's done right, because I have said that over and over, let's do slow it down. Like, I'm saying both things. I'm saying hurry up what do you, what's taking so damn long. And then I'm also like, well, but also slow it down. So it's kind of like, you know, what's going to make you happy, dude? Seems like nothing is. In this case, maybe that's what this is about. I don't know. We'll find out more from the commission and stories that come out throughout the day on Wednesday. But all we know for sure as of right now is there will be no decisions made for yet at least another week, which will mean it will be a solid month of delays from both the city council council and the county commission. And so that's all we'll do on the Lookouts and South Broad District on today's show. Uh, amongst all the festival cancellations and pausing and hiatuses and whatever other terminology is used across the country, more specifically here locally, Riverbend and Moon River, as I know you're fully aware of, we did get the announcement of the dates for the Three Sisters Bluegrass Festival, one of the most popular, most favorite events of I would say just about anybody of a contemporary of mine, a peer of mine, even somewhat younger and and even potentially much older, it is their favorite event. It is that is a very very common opinion. 
I like it just fine. I mean, it's 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 fine. It's a nice event. I'm glad we have it. There's usually Braves playoff baseball going on at that time. For the college football people, there's usually big college football games that day. For the wine over water people, that's generally that same weekend as well. So it is a pretty loaded time of the fall, but it is oftentimes the first cool weekend or one of the first few times we get a break from the oppressive summer heat. And so people are just generally really in a good mood. So we can be very happy in knowing that that is not taking a pause. It is not taking a hiatus or anything like that. The Three Sisters Music Bluegrass Festival is uh, is going to happen in 2024. Let's see. What do I want to get to here before? I'm not going to have any audio for you this uh, segment because it's going to be just the stories I have pulled. Um, this is a little interesting. I don't know that I'm going to do it. I haven't decided yet. Tonight at St. Paul's Episcopal, John Meacham is going to be speaking. And I don't really know what the uh, crux is, if you will, or the uh, the motivation for this series. It's running for about a month. I mean, it's religious-based, obviously, but I don't know much more than that. All I know is John Meacham is one of my favorite Chattanoogans, and I don't know if he's a, if it's quite proper Chattanooga. It might be more like Cleveland or maybe more towards Mon Eagle. I'm not sure. He went to Swanee, I think, for school. I can't remember exactly, but he is a historian, and more specifically, a presidential historian. And when that guy is talking, I am listening to every, I am hanging on every word. He was a regular on with Brian Williams on the 11th hour on MSNBC, the last cable news television show that I dedicated any of my amount of disposable time to watching. Once Brian stepped down, I have pretty much tuned it out and completely off. He has written plenty of books. He is definitely a left liberal type, but he, um, it, when it comes to his presidential historian stories, they are all spectrums, all political ideologies, and it's he's just a fascinating listen. And he's going to be at the uh, St. Paul's Episcopal tonight at 6.30. And I want to go just hear him speak, and there's a dinner, and there's all these other things. And it was like 35 bucks to be able to go f- for like the entire stretch for the month or five weeks of this. And I mean, I would pay money to see John, but I, I don't want to go to the dinner. I don't want to go to the services. I don't want to do any of these things that come with this price point. So I wonder, especially this being a church, right? All Christian-like, Right. Can I just show up and say, can I just sit down and listen to John Meacham talk and then leave? I, 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 would, would, I would find it strange that a church would not let me come in and sit in a pew and listen to a man speak. But I don't know. There's a ticket price for a reason. So maybe I'll go and see. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Not going to, you know, cause a fuss. I have just always wanted to see John Meacham in the flesh. And I i mean, it's a dream interview uh, subject of mine that is very likely not to happen as he is a national figure. And most people have never heard of him and don't even know that he's from Chattanooga. But he is speaking tonight at St. Paul's Episcopal Church downtown at 630. A couple of quick 
corrections from last week. I was doing the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations, and um, I I got one way wrong. This happens every year when I go over the nominations for the Hall Rock Hall. And Shaw Day, am I saying that right now? Spelled S A D E. I still don't know who this person is, and I'm sorry. I I am not uh, ashamed or afraid to admit when I don't know something. I sometimes pretend like I know more than I do, but I'm generally fine with admitting ignorance when it's there. I don't know who she or they, I don't think it's a band, I think it's a she. I don't know who she is. I still don't know. And I was scolded by a couple of people. All in good fun, all with a laugh and a smile. But um, yeah, I got that one wrong. And then when I had the audio, and nobody nobody cares about this, but I did afterwards, because this is kind of weird stuff I care about. I was... Uh, talking about the Pearl Jam, the new album, the, the the tour and all that. And I played a cut from Eddie Vedder, who was real just flippant and dismissive about an award that he just won. And I called it something about the MTV Video Awards or something like that. That wasn't the MTV Video Awards. That was the Grammys. Eddie Vedder won a Grammy and told the world that he didn't think it meant anything. But I guess thanks. The highest award that can be presented in the field in which they are in, he said he did not care anything about. Now, it was 1994, maybe 95. He's much different old man now, but I got that wrong. So while I was correcting the other one, I figured I would correct that. I was going to do an entire segment, and I guess I'll probably do the remainder of this open, which is just a couple of more minutes. I was going to do an entire segment on the closing of the Longhorn restaurant on the North Shore. They're in the, what is essentially the parking lot of Takamamacita, Milk and Honey, I think it is over there. Uh, the First Tennessee Bank, right across from Walgreens, which used to be the town and country. When the town and country closed and was torn down, everybody was all upset. And the reality was most people were like, yeah, the place kind of sucked. Well, that's kind of the case with the Longhorn. I have been there many, many, many times. Many, many mornings hungover just to get some orange juice and some country ham and hash browns, biscuits and gravy. All It's just traditional diner food. It is a time machine. It is like a time warp. It is. It feels like you're sitting in a diner in 1959. And it is, uh, it's comfortable, it was, it's a throwback, and many of us are going to miss it dearly, but at the end of the day, the food really isn't that good. I had a bunch of stuff I pulled, uh, comments, much of it was, was very upset about losing it, and most, well, I won't say most, many, many, many were, yeah, uh, when's the last time you've actually been? The, the place sucks, <laughs> and... I don't agree that the place sucks because it was kind of a, at least once upon a time, 15 years ago, for sure, 20 years ago, definitely, where you walked in and they knew your name and and they they treated you like family and treated you like they were you were their best friend. It feels like some of that has been lost from what I've heard more than what I could tell, because I got to thinking, how many times have I been to the Longhorn and not, you know, not not to be mistaken with Longhorn Steakhouse Anybody who's from around here knows what I'm talking about. It's two words, the, or three words, the long horn. 
And they uh, they have lunch. I've never eaten lunch there. It was always breakfast. And the last time I went there was, um, I'm looking at my wrist as if there's a watch. I'm looking at my wall as if there's a calendar. I have no idea. I do not remember the last time that I went to the Longhorn, but I will have fond memories for forever. It was a place where local politicians went, local lawyers, local judges, local radio hosts, local hippy dippies, um, really all walks of life. And there was always a newspaper there to grab and and sit at either the you know the table, the diner table there at the front, or in a booth. And it 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 hurts my soul. It terribly, terribly hurts my soul that it's gone. But, you know, I can make better breakfast at home. I really can. But sometimes I don't want to make breakfast. And I want places like the Longhorn to do it for me. But those days are over. And it is another, uh, it's kind of the soul of of the old Chattanooga that we all love and nostalgically hold on to. It is another piece of our soul from town and country to Nikki's to Lamar's um, to why am I blanking on any others? Bees is still there, but they will be the next one. And um, it hurts. It hurts. But life moves on. And that is all I got here for you on the open. Coming up next, I've got six pieces from my conversation with Alex McVeigh. I enjoyed it very, very much. And I will expand on that and play them for you after I step aside for a very short break. Hang tight. More of Stone on Air coming up. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. At stoneonair.com. So I recorded the podcast this past Monday with Judge Alex McVeigh in a very different way than I normally have. And I'll explain more of that later on in the show. Lee Brock was a big part of that, and he doesn't even know it yet. But what Lee does know all about is this real estate market here, specifically locally in Chattanooga. We've all heard the terminology, in this economy, it's in every economy that we have challenges in any kind of transaction you're looking to make, be it big or small. And you don't want to leave something big like buying and selling property, homes, real estate, etc. to somebody who is just kind of getting into this game. Somebody who's not as experienced as Lee Brock is in this space. It ain't going to cost you a thing to give a call or an email to find out for yourself. 653-2491 or Lee at lindabrockhomes.com. Now back to more Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Stoneonair.com. The Drug Recovery Court, uh, which I I think is is fabulous. I I know so many people who have struggled with drugs and alcohol. I've been one of them. How does Drug Recovery Court work? Yep. So so Drug Recovery Court is is what we call in in Tennessee in the country a specialty treatment court. We call them recovery courts. Uh, One of the reasons is that we've a lot of the research shows language is so important, uh, particularly language that we use uh, in this kind of uh, trauma-informed language is just very important for individuals with severe substance use uh, disorder. And so Tennessee, we passed the Drug Court Treatment Act back in 2003. And so Hamilton County actually has one of the oldest drug courts, recovery courts in the state. What if we tried to get individuals, they're still very high risk of reoffending, high need of treatment, but they just haven't built that felony record to, to be eligible for felony drug court. What if you, would you be interested in starting that general sessions track? And I said, absolutely. What does it kill you? This is a band called The Beaches. 
They are going to be at Bonnaroo on the Sunday of the festival. And I love it. On the What Podcast, uh, which you can get the new episode today on the 21st, on Wednesday, we spin the wheel, Bonnaroulette, as they call it. They've done it a couple times over the years, maybe more than a couple. It was fun, and it was just finding, it was discovery of new, new to us music at the festival this year. Beaches was on our list of bands to choose from, or at least it was on my list. And we didn't get to them, actually, on that show. But I had uh, started listening to it a little bit because I was sampling several different bands. And I have been listening to this nonstop the last three or four days. It is really, really good. Four uh, women uh, look to be in their 20s, mid to late 20s. And it's fun. It's it's not... <laughs> it's the kind of stuff that... Um, your grandma ain't gonna like all that much. <laughs> the lyrical content, anyway. But it's fun. It's bouncy. It's rock uh, infused. It's it's rock inspired, but it's pop music to be sure. This song is called "What Doesn't Make You Stronger Makes You Paranoid," and um, just good stuff all the way around. And that's what's so much fun about Bonnaroo. They don't book bad bands just because you haven't heard of any of them, or and I don't mean you, you. I mean, just because any of us haven't heard of them doesn't mean that they're not wildly popular at some place in the world, not necessarily in the country even. So uh, check that out, the What Podcast. Just search it out. You'll find it without an issue if you would like to do so. So on Monday, I sat down with Alex McVeigh. He is currently the uh, Sessions Court, Hamilton County Sessions Court judge, or one of them. And he wants to make the move to circuit court. And they, these are elected positions. They are appointed and elected. It's, it's, a, it's convoluted, a little bit uh, difficult to follow. And even after talking to Alex for what ended up being over an hour and a half, I still walked away a little confused by some of it because of the convoluted nature of it. Um, but I did also learn a lot of things that I was not aware of at all. And so if you would like to hear that entire show, it will be released on the 26th. That is Monday, February 26th. And I have gotten it down to about an hour and a half. We were sitting there talking, and before I knew it, we were almost 45 minutes in. He's a conversationalist, which is, uh, it's a dream when you're sitting down with somebody to record something like this. It's a dream to get somebody who wants to talk, who likes to talk. The problem is, is I do the same thing, and then next thing you know, it's 45 minutes in, and I'm only like a quarter of a way down the page of a page and a half of notes that I've made for the show, and when I make all these notes to myself, bullet points for things that I want to get to, they're not just suggestions for me to, you know, hopefully get to. They're there because I want to ask them and I want the answers. And in that setting, you know, it it, it can go as long as it wants. Just like this podcast could go as long as it wants too. I just have spoken about this many, many times. I like to keep this one at an hour. So let's get to it. He is barely, not even 38 years old. He is 37 years old. 
and he has been on the bench since 2017. And we started the conversation off. I said, we're not going to start from the beginning. We're going to start in the current. We're going to start now. How are you? How have you seen or overseen 80,000 cases and been on the bench since 2017 if you were only 37 years old? How is that even possible? So the Constitution, and, and you have to be at least 30 to be a judge. And so when I was interviewing with Governor Haslam's office and Governor Haslam, I was I was 30, but I was ultimately appointed at 31. So I was appointed in 2017 as, as a kind of a special judge. Judge David Bales stepped off the bench to to receive chemo and, and radiation treatment on his throat, throat cancer. And and ultimately, he actually is, is in remission uh, today, but ultimately he could never come back to the bench in light of that, of that treatment. So I was appointed as a special judge and then ran for election with all the judges in the state about a year and a half ago uh, and so was was victorious and so I, I I was able to um to serve six years and then win another term for another eight so it is an eight-year term that he just won for general sessions court just over a year ago so my first question immediately comes to mind is what are you doing here why would you want to make the move to what by all accounts from lawyers I've talked to is a somewhat unilateral move, you know, kind of a sidestep move. What would be the motivation for that, especially when you're in a position now, an eight-year uh, term, that in a setting like this and in a state like this, he could seemingly keep this for as long as he wants. This could be his job for life. And so I thought, all right, well, it must pay more. Well, all these are open record stuff. You can find out what every city and county employee makes. If you just do a quick Google search, you'll find it. And the numbers are basically the same. This is not a huge increase in salary. So why spend all this time, effort, energy, and likely money to be a circuit court judge. Folks ask me that all the time. General Sessions Court really is a, a great job. A lot of folks think I'm crazy for doing this. I mean, what, why on earth would, you know, you, with General Sessions Court, you're, you're a, it's a high volume court. We're doing a lot. You might have 200 cases a day on your docket. So high, high volume. But there's not a lot of take home work, not a lot of homework at night, so to speak. I mean, you don't have to, you're not required to, um, to write orders. You know, everything, it's not a court of record. It's kind of the wild, wild west. You make opinions from the, you know, your decisions from the bench. You don't have to really record them or, or, or give written reasons why. Everything you do, you get an automatic right to appeal. So, so again, the stakes are a little bit lower. So a lot of folks are like, that's the best job ever. You know, why on earth would you want to give that job up and move to a job where everything you do typically is on the record? Everything has to be you know, written opinions. It's, it's being graded, so to speak, by the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court. Um, is it, it more challenging? It, is it, that it, part of it? it? It's hard to to, to describe challenging. I, I do think for me at this point in my career, it, you know, it'd be very easy to be really comfortable in general sessions court. And I don't want to do that. I, I want to push myself. I think, you know, not to have the, the, the baseball analogy, but I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a baseball you know, guy, I've, man. I've Bring been, it on. You know, I've, I've been playing for the lookouts here for seven years and I'm ready to give it a shot to make it up to the, the twins. Now, Alex is really good at uh, carefully answering questions. Which, and if you're going to run for elected office, you got to be good at that. And I will give him just a quick pass. As he said, playing for the lookouts and he wants to take a uh, chance with the twins. 
well, the Lookouts haven't been affiliated with the Twins in several years now. They're back to where they should be with the Reds. But, hey, that's just a small little thing. I'm just just saying. Um, is it more challenging? Is it more prestigious? Is it an upgrade? It appears that it is. Uh, if if your analogy is I play for the Lookouts and I'd like to see if I how I fare playing for the Twins, meaning a major league team, minors to the majors, well, that's, to me, all you really need to know. I asked Alex, what got you into politics, the law, um, different branches of government? Where did that uh, love, that um, passion, uh, where did it come from? Growing up, I had always admired, I, I didn't love politics, but I, I loved uh, and, and I respected one particular politician. And, and, and it was because of his service and because he was somebody I thought kind of did things that weren't always politically correct. And that guy was uh, happened to be running for president at the time. And it was his name was John McCain. He was a war hero. And that if you know, I had a little bit of time while I was deciding what I was going to do uh, when I graduated. And so I actually went up to Iowa and campaigned volunteered for John McCain. I was like, I, I want to help this this war hero. I think at the time he was down in the polls. You know, Fred Thompson, Huckabee. Oh, Romney. he was he was a comeback he, kid he that you're gonna lose. And uh, he was and a comeback kid. Sure enough, he he did decently enough in Iowa, and then won in New Hampshire, and then then came back. And so it was that experience that is actually campaign in the the, the Tennessee Republican Party. Again, I, I was never knew. You know, I, I wouldn't consider myself political. You know, Republican, Democrat, any of that at the time. I was just young, but but I had really appreciated his service. And so that's what kind of got me into, you know, college Republicans and then his campaign and the Republican Party. I was kind of the McCain liaison. Quickly realized that I didn't love politics, loved government. I, I, I respected his service. And so I, I went into more of the policy and the government. And that's what we were talking about earlier. I got the opportunity to work, to make laws uh, and hopefully stay away from politics because I saw, um, you know, I saw how politics uh, sometimes didn't bring out the best in when I first started in uh, the, the talk radio format, uh, like in earnest, I guess, as they would say, it was during the midterms in 2006. And I didn't really know a lot about politics at that time. I knew the basic understanding of running for president and kind of Congress and the differences between the Senate and the House, but not a lot. Like it was a lot of learning curve. For me, And by the time the 2008 election was rolling around, I was working consistently basically every single day. And so I followed that uh, that political season very closely. It was also a very polarizing time. The Barack Obama year and a half to two years leading up to that captured a lot of people's attention that it normally didn't. And I was one of those. And I remember during that time the Iowa caucuses that the maverick John McCain was a dead man walking going into Iowa and then New Hampshire after that and then I, I South Carolina I believe after that and he didn't win in Iowa but he did in New Hampshire and then he got labeled the comeback kid and so that was uh, something I remember vividly from um, cover, covering it here you know on a local basis at the time. So speaking of drug court, I wrote this down as I was playing the uh, clip from the open. I've never really heard it before. Severe substance use disorder. And I'll explain a little bit more because it's it's hard to get all this in in this long conversation in these short bits, these sound bites, I should say. What 
what he means by this, but this is Alex continuing to talk more about General Sessions drug court. But these individuals, too, they um, their only other option is th- they have such a rap sheet. This isn't somebody that you could send to one uh, inpatient stint and they would get. I mean, these are folks that have such a high risk of reoffending and a high need of treatment that 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 literally this is the only other option. And so they're either going to jail for three years on three eleven twenty nines uh, consecutive or they're going to do this. So it's the carrot and the stick model. So I know it's that authority piece that that's driving early on. But. As they progress through the program and the phases and they gain more skills, uh, they might be faking it at first, which I'll take it. You can fake it as much as you want, but if you show up, at least I have your ear. But eventually there's a change. And, and these individuals, when they're graduating, they're not just checking boxes. I mean, they are, they are truly, the work is that intense. And, and not only are they in, in treatment every day with us, but, but they're also employed usually within two weeks. I mean, we fill up every second of their day. I mean, are you a talking a lot structure. of different age groups or mostly young people? So I'm dealing with younger folks, but it, it's, of all, it's all age groups. Uh, it, it really, it's all age groups. But the, the point of, of the General Sessions track was to try to, intervene a little bit sooner so we do have a lot of younger folks and, and who haven't built up that felony record to be to be eligible for the felony track and after i listened back to this i remembered what he was talking about so it started in the 80s in miami and then in 2003 there was legislation in the state of tennessee for felon drug court rehabilitation and in order to be eligible for this you had to be a felon. You had to already be in major hot water in the legal system. It wasn't it wasn't preventative. It was more reactionary. And what they have st- what they pretty much put on his plate as he took over Sessions Court in the last 6-7 years was can we do this from a general Sessions uh track as he called it when you get young people before they're felons because they're not eligible yet for this rehabilitation because they're not felons. And so maybe if we can do this earlier, then we can get them before they're felons. And that's what he took over. And this is an additional duties to what his actual job description is. He didn't get a pay raise because of it. It, it, He could have said, no, I don't really have time for that. And then his life would have continued just the same salary, hours, uh, responsibilities, duties, all that kind of stuff. This is something that he's passionate about. He talks about it. He has family members that had uh, bad drug and alcohol problems, and so it was close to him, and it's something that he does basically on a volunteer basis. Was It was the first thing when I heard about this that I said, this is a guy that I can get on board with, especially coming from a guy, me, who has lost trust in the judicial system, more from a federal level, but on really on all levels at this point. But these elections confuse me, and we talk in depth about it, and here's a short little bit about the elections of judges and the way the campaigns are are far, far different than the average regular person running for a political position. There's only so many things they can do. Now, I know people can skirt these rules and these laws and these regulations in many, many different ways, but it is different, and I was not aware uh, of this until my conversation with Alex. 
we kind of have an appointment slash election process. We also have for our court of appeals and our Supreme Court, unlike a place like Alabama, where the chief justice is running every four years in a partisan primary, we don't have those here. So our higher level courts, they run either to retain or replace. So you don't get some of the politics. Oh, and by the way, we have eight year terms, which which I think is important because your judges aren't always campaigning. You know, they're not having to be political creatures as much. And so, you know, I'm sure there's some downsides to eight year turns, but also it keeps now, your if you don't like them, there. they're there a while. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so again, we kind of have our system to where, you know, if you're going to have elected judgeships, ours isn't that bad. Now, when it comes to um, the elections, even though the legislature has their say on, on the, the, the how they're partisan or not, the Supreme Court is, has been very, very strict in the court rules about how judges and judicial candidates can actually campaign. We are not like other political folks, all right? It is not our job to insert our personal beliefs, certain values, certain things that we're going to do, because we, we, we cannot preview, if you have an opinion on a case that might be in front of you, if you campaign on a certain position, you have to recuse yourself, because yeah. you have campaign, you've made up your mind. So the Supreme Court has sure. a code of judicial conduct that, that I... I try my hardest to adhere to because one, I can be disciplined. If I, if you see me with a, a, a Nikki Haley or a Joe Biden or a Donald Trump sticker, I am promoting a non-judicial candidate. I can be disciplined by the Supreme Court. And you can almost you can hear it in my voice. Yeah, okay, sure. Like I hear you, um, but I I didn't know that those parameters were in place, and so that's at least good to know. Again, far more stretching out on all of these conversations coming on Monday. The 26th. And the final one here to wrap up the segment, just quickly, I'll do this to everybody I have a conversation with. A simple, the best show ever questions. Really quickly, just a couple of things that uh, Alex, uh, his favorites of certain things. Quickly, the best ever questions here as we celebrate the best things ever. Judge McVeigh, the best show ever. Was Matlock growing up. Uh, Andy Griffith. Right. What about best like music performance? I've been to Bonnaroo uh, once. Nice. Got to see. What year? Um, 2008. One I got to see in the Ryman uh, was Johnny Lang. Uh, he was a blues artist. I think oh, he does yeah. a little bit of Christian lie music now. Uh, but I got to hear him sing lie to me. Go ahead and lie into, to me. Uh, yeah, I know Johnny Lang. Into the uh, at, at the Ryman, and that was a pretty pretty awesome show. My favorite band ever is Pearl Jam. I will say the very first cassette I ever got was Aerosmith. Best movie, book, story <laughs> that has a judicial courtroom backdrop. <laughs> I will say uh, my cousin Vinny. I think John Grisham. I think so. There's great movies as well. Yeah, I'm a, I'm and a uh, Grisham books. Best thing about Chattanooga. What do you love about being here? The beauty, the, the, the hiking, the, the, the rivers, everything that we have. I also love being in a place that, you know, you got transplants, you got home, like me, you got hometown people. I mean, truly, I can't think of a better place. Alex, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you I, for having me. I appreciate it. And we will go out here with Johnny Lang's Lie to Me. About the time Kenny Wayne Shepherd was making a lot of noise, kind of bringing the blues back about 20-plus years ago, Johnny Lang was kind of doing the same thing. He had this one hit. And that was about as far as it went with him. But um, <laughs> my cousin Vinny, <laughs> I I almost wanted to say, what's your favorite movie? Don't say my cousin Vinny. <laughs> not because it's not good and a great flick. Uh, just because, really? I mean, it's not 12 Angry Men. <laughs> it's not A Time to Kill. It's not something like that. But, you know, hey, whatever it takes 
all kinds. And uh, so get that entire show on the 26th this coming Monday, the best show ever. It's been 365 days since I've last been intoxicated, and it's been a wild year. It's been a great year. And I will get you the lost stories that maybe I shouldn't tell and uh, talk about it for a few minutes and then wrap things up on today's show next. So Lee Brock is the presenting sponsor of this show, and thank you very much, Lee. But another thing that he has made possible is the mobile studio. And this is a dream come true product that I've been wanting to get my hands on for the last year or so, but cost restraints kept me from doing it. Well, with the influx of a little bit of cash, I purchased the PodTrack P4, which is the size of a, what were those, T1 calculators back in the day? It's smaller than that, actually, and it's much lighter. And I can now do a podcast remotely anywhere with just this piece of equipment, which is now going to be called the Lee at lindabrockhomes.com mobile podcast studios, just like I did this past Monday with Judge McVeigh. For all your real estate needs in the city of Chattanooga and surrounding areas, Lee Brock is your guy. 653-2491 or Lee at lindabrockhomes.com. Now more Stone on Air. It's about to get all stupid up in here. Stoneonair.com with where I'm at in my life is that I, I'm living the same day over over and over and over again. I don't have a drinking problem in the sense, like, I don't have a drunk problem. I don't have a, oh, shit, Brian's drunk again, watch out. You know, that's almost never me. I'm not saying it's never been me before. It certainly has. But generally, when I'm intoxicated, I'm welcome. Like, yeah, cool. Brian's better when he's lubed up a little bit. He's nicer. He's friendlier. He laughs more. And, and to a certain degree, that's true until till, till it's not, till eventually that it's not. My biggest problem is I drink constantly. There's not been a time I have not been drinking for this entire century. The volume of it is alarming, and it's killing me. It's, it's slowly, slowly, slowly killing me. I went to see a nurse practitioner last year. And when she noticed that I got real about saying I'm really thinking about some serious changes into the new year, she got dead serious and she stopped me and said, you better, you absolutely better do that. Because if you don't, you're going to die. You're going to stroke out. You're going to have heart disease. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to have liver failure. These are not things that might happen. These are things that are going to happen. And that scared the shit out of me. That was from the show that I did early February 23 before I took about a month hiatus. Not about a month, over a month. This is Goose. song is called Hunger Sight. It's their most popular one. And it's kind of my theme song of that year. First of all, because I listened to it so much while I was there, but it actually is a song kind of about, you know... Getting it together, rebirth, you know, there, there's still there's still hope, you know. It, 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 it does kind of have that message if you want to decode it that way. It was Goose and Billy Strings I spent the most listening to while I was there. 
And I mean, it is a little bit of a, I mean, I hate to be kind of douchey about it, but it's a, you know, it's a pretty big day. It's a pretty big time. It's a pretty big deal. Anytime I've talked to anybody about it, Alex being one of them, I try to downplay it. That it's, you know, it's not, you know, eh, and it's like, it's a big deal, dude. Come on, man. Don't act like it's not. And, um, and it's, it, my life has changed in a lot of ways, but not really. And, and that's what I was so worried about is that my life would change in a way that I would not like. I felt like I wouldn't like myself anymore, that I wouldn't be fun. I wouldn't be interesting. I wouldn't be creative. I wouldn't be able to do things that anybody cared about. And that was silly, you know, and, and I think about it now and I realize how silly that was to think, but that's what happens when you are an addict and you are constantly intoxicated and your brain doesn't function properly, you think foolish things and you do foolish things. Um, you know, there's still an emptiness. There's still a void that I feel from time to time that alcohol used to fill. There, that That is still there. That is still a struggle that I have. You... I think anybody can relate to this. The the feeling that something's missing, you know, like when you're just whatever it is, you're doing something, you're attending something, you're in the middle of trying to do a project. Um, and and it feels like it's like, what's missing? What it's that I forgot, what did I forget? What did I leave at home kind of feeling? I still have that a lot. Like, I mean, pretty much consistently. It, it, it really always does kind of feel like there's a little something that I am missing. But overall, my health is very, very good. It's not great, but it's good. Uh, the vital signs are very, very, very good. And I'm overall a happier person. And and But I boy, do I miss it. I miss drinking. I miss it so, so, so much. But it was the best decision that I could have ever made. And there were so many people that helped to make it happen that I didn't even realize how much they were helping. And I don't have time to go through that list and talk to people, you know, specifically here on this show. Those who were involved, I, I hope they know. I hope I've made that clear. But it did not change my life. It did not fix my life. It, uh, the, there's a lot... It, what it did was is it, it made it the clarity I needed to realize all the other things that were wrong, that I wasn't paying attention to, that I didn't care about or couldn't see through the foggy haze of constant intoxication. But what it did do with, to my life is it prolonged it. I will live longer now because of it, and I'm, I'm very happy about it. And I will still occasionally, if someone makes a drink, I will, you know, like, hey, check this out. I will take a sip. I, the other day, I had a to-die-for sip of an old-fashioned with some cocoa bitters in it. Never had an old-fashioned with cocoa bitters. Oh, God. I took a drink, and I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm going back to drinking. I was, I was joking. Everybody was like, no, no, no. I was like, I'm getting. But I love alcohol. I love cocktails. It's the stuff. Is it's, It wasn't... To me, it wasn't a lifestyle quite as, I mean, it was, but it wasn't in completely a lifestyle of just getting bombed and going out and getting effed up. It was, it's because I enjoyed it. I liked it. I liked the, what came with it. 
I liked the lifestyle and I've been able to still live it. It's just, I get bored easily and drunk people. Oh my God, they're the worst. Oh, I'm so I, my apologies can't be loud enough and long enough for all the people that had to deal with me in the times that I was, you know, that I had gone too far. I said, I didn't have a drunk problem. I did have a drunk problem. It just wasn't as bad as the fact that I just drank every day. I, I Drunk people are just awful, God. And I see people of all ages, and, and I. it's hard for me not to get judgmental. It's hard for me not to say, what in the hell are you doing to yourself? What? Why are you taking more rounds of shots? Why are you just guzzling this booze down all day? Why can't you stop? And, you know, that's a pretty asshole-ish thing to say from a guy who, you know, was not that long ago one of those guys that never stopped, never never quit, never, never slowed down. There was never enough until I was passed out from each and every day. I didn't start the day wanting to be a drunk mess. I just usually ended up that way. But so real quick, the uh, the stories that maybe I shouldn't tell that I dug out of my notebook that I didn't get to, and some of them were character profiles of some of the people I was with. And I even, I had to, it was hard for me to read some of them because I scratched through them because I thought, okay, this is wrong. I shouldn't do this. I didn't know at first until I got further in the program, and then I realized, okay, sitting around writing about other people here is really bad form. But now a year later, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a few of them anyway. And they there was not they were not all about the women there, but I pulled the three that were about the women there. And the first one, just gonna call her Edie. All right, still not gonna say their names. This was uh, from whenever it was early on. It says E was the first person to talk to me. That first night at dinner, I purposely sat at a table by myself. Because that's likely what I would do, even if I knew every single person in this room anyway. And since the exact opposite is true, it was even more the reason. She was a motherly type that wasn't going to let the new kid sit by himself. And I was just out of my element and mind enough to be talked into just about anything. I warmed up to her immediately because, for one reason, she is what us middle-aged white men would call a MILF, and she was really gossipy. And in this environment, I quickly realized you'll take just about anything to pass the time. I also had this concern of, is this like prison? Meaning, is it taboo to ask what others are quote-unquote in for? I quickly realized that that was not this kind of situation, and it was because she was all about talking about just about anything. And then that was where I stopped on that one the next one was we'll call her l so this pretty girl l is admitted the day after me i immediately gravitated towards her because why not she has long wavy jet black hair and mostly dressed in black clothes but i would not at all consider her goth maybe just deeply dark which was intriguing she wore a poison band hoodie despite being clearly 10-plus years younger than me, meaning she wasn't born when that shit was popular. I'm not slick enough to be all Fonzie-like when I talk to a pretty girl, so I don't think this was in response to my approach, 
but she wasted no time mentioning her man. And I know it had nothing to do with my behavior because, quote, my man was referenced basically in every social setting I was around involving her, which got less and less really quick. I ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner with her for a few days straight, but that ended quickly. And she actually ended up being one of the ones who got kicked out because when we did have our little, we'll just call them field trips to leave the facility, she somehow was able to communicate with her man and he would come meet her wherever we would go. Once was at a movie theater, once was at the uh, park over in East Brainerd, and there was another one, I think, and eventually they caught on and they kicked her out for that. And then the final one was Q. That's what I'm, again, calling her. Then there was Q. This one's really short. The first moments I laid eyes on this girl, I was enamored. Gorgeous, but dangerously, and then I put in parentheses, find a word. Clearly at that moment, I couldn't figure out what word I wanted to use there. But dangerous was certainly a good adjective to whatever the next word was going to be. It dates back to the first session when my attitude lined up with hers. I thought, holy shit, who is this girl? And that's where that ended. Now, Q, I actually text through Snapchat with just the other day. She is... 27, she's 27 years old. She turned 26 while we were there and her insurance ran out because she was on her parents until she was 26 and she had to leave. She left a few days before I did. So she is turning 27 in the next few weeks, a month or so. So she is clearly out of my league, except if I really wanted to pursue it, she's not because she is broken in so many ways I hope she has gotten more help since. She was a doll, but you could just tell that there were a lot of demons there, and and she wasn't able to stay longer than than I believe she probably needed to. We had actually talked immediately afterwards about going to some meetings together. I couldn't help it. I knew that this this person was going to be probably no good for me to have communication with, but I'm telling you, listeners of this fine podcast, one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life, but she and I were not in the same galaxy. I was about to say we're not the same wavelength. We're not even in the same galaxy. Um, If this was years ago and I was still drinking and and taking drugs and those kinds of things, I would have done everything it took to give that a chance. Now I'm smart enough to know that that's probably a bad idea. And Jesus, I mean, come on. She's 27. I'm 44 in six weeks. Move on, dude. (laughs) But uh, I found that. And then the final one here real quick. And I just, I didn't, I couldn't barely read it. It's just from this notepad. And um, I called it Beautiful Boy because we watched the movie Beautiful Boy starring uh, what's the guy from The Office's name? Uh, Jesus, I can't even remember. Michael Scott from The Office. What's his real name? Uh, Carol, right? 
Okay, I stopped the podcast and came back. I couldn't get this wrong. Steve Carell. Jesus, what's my problem? All right, so this one says quickly, well, today was an interesting day. I'm approaching my second full week in this place and doing quite well. As this is 100% voluntary admission to this program, I thought I would have additional options and and the possibility of more flexible options, at least. This is not the case. It's odd. I have leverage that both of us, us meaning me and the, the treatment facility, I have leverage that both of us are acting like doesn't exist. I am requesting an early release, and they are setting my release date an additional seven days after the initial date that I thought we had already agreed upon. And then it goes on from there, and it's not interesting enough, and I can barely read half of it, and I didn't want to try to recreate it. But those are the lost stories that maybe I shouldn't tell. And the other real fast thing is that this date should be the 20th. I was supposed to go in on February 20th, 2023, and I woke up early in the morning and had music playing, and I had a bottle of gin and some orange juice, And I was drinking gin and juice all morning, waiting on my mom to pick me up. And I kept putting it off. It was supposed to be 10 a.m. And then it was 11. And I said, hey, can we do it at 1? I mean, and I just kept putting it off and putting it off. And I sat there and drank all morning. And when I got there, they wouldn't let me in. They breathalyzed me in. They took all my stuff. They admitted all my things. And they breathalyzed me. And I blew a monster number. I had been drinking all morning. And... I thought that that was like totally cool. I, I I don't. I've never heard of anybody going to a rehab facility who didn't show up bombed. I've heard that story countless times. Well, in this situation, they wouldn't let me in, and I was furious. I can't remember. I don't remember what I said. I I probably lashed out a little bit. I was in a really bad space at this time. My mom brings me back home. The bottle of gin is in the back seat of the car. I guess I brought it to say, hey, take this with you. Give it to my you know, sister, brother, get rid of it. And I grabbed the bottle and I jumped out of the car and I stomped off into the house, opened it up and just poured it down my throat. I mean, it was just pathetic. Path- just pathetic. I was like a little kid. Like, star- uh, I'm mad. Yeah. It really was. And then I went in and I, I started texting people and calling people and just guzzling booze and I passed out and I woke up at like 7 o'clock at night, 8 o'clock at night whatever it was and I just was lost I had no idea where I was I thought it was like, I don't know it it was terrible it was so stupid and then my mom had to take off work again the next day and come pick me up and take me back I was so humiliated and I, I was literally crying I was not bawling but I had tear. I was like, this is, you know, what is a matter? What's the matter with me? And um, that's how it all started. And one year later, here we are. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you to Lee Brock as a presenting sponsor of this show. After eight years, finally able to make a little bit of money, finally able to get out there and get people listening that I never in a million years would have thought would have. And from the bottom of my heart, I thank you so very much. Much more coming, lots more content, great podcasts all across the board, and I'm so thrilled and thankful to be asked to be a part of so many people's ventures that uh, that they think that that my talents are worth 
bringing in to their ecosystem, and that's awesome. And I tried to keep this at an hour, right at 60 minutes, and once again, I've gone over just a little bit. So I'm done for the show today. Whatever it is you do the rest of this week, enjoy yourself into the weekend. We'll do this show again on Wednesday and lots more podcast content coming. If you want it, it's all there. If you don't need it, don't care about any of it, that's totally fine too. I wouldn't listen to five different podcasts either. So I get it. I love you. See you later. Bye. Taking over